0: You're listening to Small But Mighty, the podcast of the Small Nonprofits Alliance, the online hub for Australia's small charities. Hi, everyone, and welcome to our final episode of Small But Mighty for 2022. Today we're going to be diving into some nonprofit myths, and I'm so happy to welcome, as usual, my partner in crime, Bianca Crocker, founder of the Small Nonprofits Alliance. My name is Kirsty Wallet. I'm a co-founder and director of operations and marketing. Hey, Kirsty, how are you today? So great to be here again. It is. It is. Um, I know we're both excited to be wrapping up the year with what we think are fun episodes, our myth-busting ones.
1: Yeah, well, I really do enjoy them, and I think. From what we've heard from um, some of our members and our listeners, it is a positive one and people enjoy listening to it. So hopefully we crash or oh, smash, I should say, a few of those myths again <laughs> for, uh, before we go into the holiday break. I'd also like to acknowledge, um, that I'm here on the land of the Rwandari people, the place where I grew up and now live and work. And I'd like to pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging and acknowledge the traditional custodians of the lands on which all of our listeners are residing when
0: they uh, are hearing this podcast as well. And I'm on the land of the Bunjalung people in beautiful northern New South Wales, and I'd like to acknowledge their elders past, present and emerging and that we live on their land and enjoy their waters and air. Okay, so let's kick it off today, Bianca. I'm going to throw to you first. We wanted to keep our myths today really topical to things that we've heard being talked about I think, in the last couple of months. And obviously, this time of year is a big time for charities to go out there with their Christmas appeals and their fundraising appeals. And I think your first myth has a little bit to do with that.
1: Yes, it does, Kirsty. My first myth is that fundraising is on the downward trend. This -hmm. is something that I'm hearing so many people talking about. Uh, And I really think in recent months when people are talking about this, what we really need to be thinking about Is consider what type of fundraising we're actually talking about. Because I think giving a broad brush um, approach to all fundraising is down is probably a little off the mark. There's been a number of reports actually that talk about how the dollar value of donations is actually increasing. But what's happening is that the distributions of those, of those who are giving is decreasing. So we've got less people giving, but we're actually seeing higher donations coming through on average. So, um, what that is actually telling us is there's more money, but less people are actually donating. So, this sort of does translate. If you're in the space, perhaps, of doing a lot of community fundraising or events, then that can be really reflected because you might have less people um, supporting in those areas. They're generally not the people that are giving larger gifts. However, if we start thinking about more structured giving, um, people setting up private ancillary funds, uh, people giving larger gifts, major uh, major gifts. And remembering major gifts don't have to be hundreds of thousands of dollars. For every organisation that is different. So for your small charity, it could be $500 or $1,000 that you consider to be a major gift. So we've got more people giving some of those larger gifts. You know, there's one recent report that I read from Philanthropy Australia really talked a lot about this. And I think it's really important for us to consider. Philanthropic giving has been increasing in recent years. So ACNC data, has showed that since 2018, we had about $10.5 billion coming into Australian charities through philanthropy. Into 2020, that's now up to 12.7. So, I know we're now here at the end of 2022, we're always playing catch up a bit with the data, the way that people report in. This all comes from charities, you know, annual activity statements and through ATO data, But really what we are seeing is if you're talking to organisations that are working in the space of major gifts, they are actually seeing people are really giving in those areas and those gifts are increasing. So what it might mean for us working in our small charities is moving into 2023, how can we start to perhaps strengthen some of the relationships that we have with our donors and start perhaps building those relationships so that we can uplift their gifts um, and maybe lift them into that next area of giving. So, that so they've got a stronger connection with you um, rather than sort of more community-based fundraising activities.
0: I, I really love all the data you've included there. And I think that really just backs up what you're saying with this myth. I think you know, in the greater, say, national and global structure, it's a tough economic time, isn't it? You know, we're coming out of the pandemic, we've got all these pressures on inflation, and that's happening right around the world. And so perhaps there's this tendency to, I want to say a different word, but panic about (laughs) what's happening with fundraising. And I think you've made some really good points there. Um, Why do you think, though, that there's this jump to, oh, fundraising's down. Is it because we've had this like stressful couple of years across the board where there has been this quite well-founded, frankly, worry about the income of small charities um, and and how the pandemic has affected that?
1: Yeah, I think part of it is actually that people are nervous. And, and I think when you look at certain things, people, uh, charities, I guess, are seeing that the donations are down. There's probably um, a bit of apathy maybe from our supporters. You know, through COVID, it was a really hard time, but we did see consistent, for most organisations, we saw consistent giving, um, which a lot of people didn't expect to see. But remember, if if through that time we might have, um, you know, been really good at pivoting and, and moving our events online or doing virtual uh, walks and those sorts of things. But so if we're still trying to do those things now, they're less excited about those sort of things So and they're a bit more tired. So some organisations are seeing the dollars down or perhaps not even down, but they're just not increasing in those areas. And that's, that's I think, the conclusion a lot of people are jumping to. They're sort of saying, well, fundraising's down then because we did this walk for the last five years and this year it's not growing at all or or it has gone down a little bit in terms of our income. But what we need to look at is, well, what are we doing with our supporters to build those relationships? And then how can we ask them to get involved and support us in other meaningful, meaningful ways and purposeful for the, for the donor?
0: Well, as we always say, small organisations are very good at being nimble and being able to change what they do. Do you think perhaps that's what small organisations need to do if they've seen a drop in fundraising is that they need to maybe think, well, that walk we've done for the last five years that was really good for us perhaps isn't working anymore. So, what are we going to do into 2023 to maybe not reinvent the wheel, but to respond to the environment we're in now with donors? Yeah,
1: I think that's a really great point. Uh, Kirsty, that we do have um such a strength in small charities, the ability to be agile and, and to and to change things up a little bit. So really just thinking more broadly about your fundraising and how are you connecting with your donors and inviting them or asking them to get to get engaged with you and to give to you. And I think um trying to think a little bit differently about that, especially in the area of Like I said before, that major donor space—it's so interesting because a lot of charities, especially, sorry, a lot of small charities, really feel that that's not an area for them. And what's interesting is it does, um, you know, take a little bit longer because there's a bit more prospect research has to be done. There's a bit more um, time and cultivation for donors that has to go into that area. But the rewards and the return on investment in that sort of space—major gifts and also gifts in wills, of um, course—can be much higher. Then where we're where we're seeing um, return on investments for community fundraising.
0: Well, I think um, that idea of being able to be really responsive leads into our second myth, which is my first one, uh, which is that with a lot of the changes we've seen in social media lately, Facebook and Instagram isn't working for nonprofits anymore. Firstly, with this one, I want to acknowledge that um, the social media space and the fact that it's ever changing is a real challenge for small organizations, particularly because we know they are challenged with time and resources. And look, social media does take time and resources. And we've seen just in recent weeks here in Australia, you know, and and obviously they're being rolled out across the globe, these changes in the way that Instagram in particular works in the feed and how you can see the people that you're following as a user. Obviously, We've seen a drop in engagement across the board with both Instagram and Facebook, so the meta platforms, as they try to do a raft of different things, for example, compete with TikTok. And so that drop in engagement is nothing new for Facebook, but we have seen that really come to the fore in 2022 with Instagram. I suppose the myth I want to bust around that is that Instagram in particular can't work for small nonprofits anymore.
1: Yeah, I think that's a really important one to discuss. And I know we've talked about it a few times um, of late and we are working, um, oh, well, you're doing a lot of work with some of our members lately in this space. And um, I was really intrigued to hear about one in particular that you're doing some work in and they're doing on Instagram. They've sort of started doing, I think, more stories and reels and those sorts of things and are getting some really positive results for not a huge amount of effort um, in terms of their time to to get involved in that space.
0: Yeah, I think Instagram in particular, I know Facebook continues to be frustrating and I think I would still encourage small organisations to maintain their Facebook page because um, there is that fantastic tool of Facebook fundraising. And I think also um, we do see that um, donors and supporters looking to organisations to have a Facebook page for credibility. So, I think there's still a lot of strategic and practical reasons to be putting time into your Facebook. But um, I think Instagram uh, you know, for small most small organizations, I'd really encourage them to be on Instagram if they're not. Um, It is a place where users are coming for things other than to see what their friends and family are up to, which is what we see Facebook being more and more. You know, people are happy to go to Instagram to shop, to watch videos, um, to follow their favorite influencer, to follow a celebrity. So I think in terms of the users there on Instagram, if we put demographics aside, they are more open to seeing different content. Um, yes. And I think that's, and causes translate really well on Instagram for that very reason. So it's much easier for you to have that space um, and that audience to talk about your impact and your mission and the work that you're trying to do. Um, you mentioned the stories and reels, and I have been banging on about that so much this year, as is a lot of, are a lot of social media <laughs> Um advisors and um what the reason why we're saying that is because the platform has changed and meta is changing the platform because they want to focus on that content so it only makes sense that you would try to do that obviously you've got to do that within what works for your organization and people do tend to freak out a bit when we talk about just doing video content you know I'm not a video creator I'm a fundraising manager, but the Instagram app actually makes it really easy to create reels and videos. There is a little bit more information on our website at smallnonprofits.com.au. We've got some instructional videos on that to help people. And then also we did episode 49 of the podcast in our short stuff. I go into a little bit of detail into this. So if you want to know more about it, have a flick back through our past episodes. But basically, like you said, a little bit more input of time, but not a whole lot more effort. Being able to not just post on the grid on Instagram, but utilize stories and reels, we're really seeing with some of our members and our clients that we, they are still getting some reach. Yes, definitely we're seeing drops, but we're seeing small organizations able to grow their audiences, which obviously are off quite a low base compared to a lot of large organizations, but we're still seeing people reach new audiences and grow. And I just think that's such a positive thing to take out of some of these changes that are happening. So I suppose I'm trying to tell people not to throw the baby out with the bathwater. There is a, or a lot of doomsday talk that goes on about social media. Every time there's a change, it's like, oh, you know, Facebook's dying or Instagram's on the way out. I look, and that that may well be the case one day, but I think that's a slow burn. And there are still so many strategic and practical reasons why small organizations can still reach their audiences, spread their mission, talk about the work they do in a really engaging way, particularly on Instagram at the moment.
1: I think the other thing to to remind everyone and all what we should all remember is one thing that we've always loved about this platform or these types of platforms is the affordability in terms of reaching. If you were trying to look at any other medium out there to connect and cultivate your donors and build those relationships, social media, even if you're doing some paid advertising and boosting posts, et cetera, et cetera, that's still much more affordable. So from a small charity perspective where time is definitely a resourcing issue, but budget as well, that still still really um, is the top of the list, I guess, in terms of affordability.
0: Absolutely. And I think we've moved out of that old thought pattern that social media is free because we certainly know it's not, not for any organization, not for any business, but absolutely. I think the bang for your buck that you can get, particularly through Instagram at the moment, is really worth investing your time and resources and whatever budget you have in into that. So Bianca, what's your second myth for today?
1: My second myth for today is that donor fatigue is in fact really high. So, What I want to do in this little, in my little conversation here is talk a little bit about that in the context of some recent studies that have actually been done around consumer anxiety. And I was reading these recently. Um, There was a couple done in the US, but also some done in here in Australia. And uh, there's uh, the conversation that's been happening around donor fatigue being high is actually in the context of when we're going shopping. And we're asked at checkouts to make a donation or to upsell or to, sorry, up, you know, uh, round up our, our spending, our expenditure at the shop, all of those sorts of things. And there is some reports that are showing that there's a bit of donor fatigue in that area. Really what that aligns to, though, is that consumer anxiety. They feel a lot of pressure um, and they feel that sometimes they are guilted into saying yes at those points because the person's right there the shop attendant's right there saying hey do you want to give an extra $5 here or do you want to buy a little uh you know a little something to put on our wall to say that you're a supporter of our of our charity partnerships or whatever it might be so what i find really interesting about this and i've and i've read a bit about it i know there was some work done at university of queensland around this as well where people are actually saying that When they're in the shopping environment and they feel that pressure to give to charities in a public setting, sometimes they, those people, may be hesitant to give again in their own, you know, giving world or in their own space. So I think as a, as a wide, you know, sector, we do need to consider how people are doing that um, and how people are actually being asked to give. I think though, in all honesty, I really think that. This type of giving or, or this type of ask that the charities are doing at a pay point or at a shop front is really transaction-based. So when we talk about giving and fundraising, we'll often talk about there's, you know, a few different ways and there's transaction-based, but we always, and the words that I'm about to say now are not new words and that, that I'm often saying these sorts of things, it's around we'll always be suggesting that charities look at doing relationship-based fundraising because that is what is best seen
0: as best practice. So so basically what you're saying is when someone's asked to donate at a checkout, you're basically asking a complete stranger who may not have a relationship with the organisation. It's like a cold ask. It is, and, absolutely. And what we know about that is that they don't work well. <laughs> they don't work well. And the, the problem what's happening is
1: people are feeling in that environment on the spot that they need to say yes Um, because they feel that pressure, they might feel a bit of guilt. But the context, you know, and I I personally, I've, I've felt that from time to time myself. And it does frustrate me a little bit because I feel like, well, if I say no, right now, that shop attendant thinks I'm not uh, you know, a giving person. They think I'm not particularly philanthropic, but they don't actually know that in my own personal life, I give to three other charities and I give well or, you know, whatever it is that I do, because that's that's what my passion is. So, there's that real um, inability to understand the donors from that perspective. So, I do think we have to to think about that. And, and exactly what you said, Kirsty, We it's a very cold approach. Um, and the other thing is people are when so, The shop attendant usually doesn't know much about the organisation, so they're not going to be telling me what's the impact that they're having, what's this money actually going for, how is my donation making a difference, all of that stuff is not happening. So, what we need to be doing is remembering that donor fatigue is, you can avoid donor fatigue if you've got concerns about it in your small charity by making sure you're doing best practice relationship-based fundraising. So, engaging with your donors, making sure every contact with them is not an ask, making sure you're sending out, you know, whatever it is, EDMs, or you're engaging with them on social medias, as we were just talking about, um, because people are only faced with donor fatigue when they feel like they're only ever getting asked for something. So, if we're able to... Such a great point. Yeah, pepper in in all of those other types of engagement, Uh, there was... um, you know, some work done around making sure you have a good balance of donor care pieces versus donor asks. Um, And if you map out all of the communication and engagement you have with your um, constituents and your supporters, make sure that the majority of them are uh, care pieces. And remembering an ask is not just a donor ask, as sorry, a, a gift ask for a donation. An ask is also uh, an event invitation, come to our event. You know, mm. these sorts volunteer of
0: things. Volunteer for us, help volunteer. Us with this. They're
1: all yeah. asks. So you want to make sure the reporting back, telling them about their impact, sharing great beneficiary stories, all of those sorts of things outweigh or at least balance all the asks that you're doing. I think that's really important.
0: Yeah, great advice there. Okay, I think that brings us to our final myth for 2022, <laughs> which is also social media based. I I mean, I did say to you before we started this podcast, um, mine are all social media today, but I do think there's just been a lot of talk about it in the last couple of months as well.
1: Absolutely. And I think through the pandemic, so much has been happening on social media and a lot of people have been putting more effort in there. So I think there's plenty to talk about
0: for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So I think today's second myth for me is all about this myth. And this isn't a new one, but I think people need reminding of it particularly because we've seen so many changes across the platforms this year, is that you do not have to be across all social media platforms to be reaching people and be successful on social media. And this is particularly relevant for small organisations. I I mean, we work with a lot of people who feel the pressure from sometimes leadership and management in organisations, whether it's the chair of the board who might have a passion for marketing or your CEO or your chief executive or even maybe if you're a fundraising person and you work in tandem with a marketing person. And then let's go even lower because we know a lot of our members are in this situation where there's two of you or you're all volunteer-based in the organisation and you may have some differing views on your focus for social media. It's always strategically smart and practically smart in terms of your day-to-day running of your organisation to be really careful and curated about the platforms that you're on. You can only spread yourself so thin. And as we know, so many people in small organizations don't have the luxury of just doing one job. What we find is that despite all of these changes to the platforms, that good content always works. Now we do have to be a little bit smarter about how we get that content out to people. We need to respond to the changes in the platforms without, as we said before, reinventing the wheel. But I think it's important to note that you do have to put some time into the content creation and the planning for it to be successful. And therefore, the more platforms you have, the harder that is. I think one that has particularly come up, like my general recommendation is be on Facebook and Instagram. You know, um, we've seen a lot of stuff happening with Twitter lately, and we're not even going to go there in this episode. <laughs> but I would suggest that if you're putting time into Twitter, unless it's really working for you to back off a little bit at the moment until we see what's going to happen with Twitter, I think it, the common one we hear a lot, and we've discussed this heaps, Bianca, is LinkedIn and Mm -hmm. what to do with LinkedIn. Again, this isn't anything new in terms of what we're trying to share with our members. But I think it's a really important time to reiterate probably where the low-hanging fruit is on LinkedIn. And what I mean by that is, is where you should be focusing. So obviously LinkedIn pages for your organization is something that people feel they need to focus on. I would definitely say make sure you have a page, particularly if your staff or you as a leader um, or fundraiser on in your organisation or on LinkedIn and you're active, definitely have a page, pop some content up there, but don't stress about updating that continually. And the reason basically comes down to engagement. Not only does LinkedIn not, not really um, prioritise pages in terms of the feed and the engagement, but we also see very low gains, very low engagement gains. You know, you only have to look at any state of the social media reports from the US, the UK, here, globally, to see that LinkedIn is always at the bottom in terms of engagement. It's mm. still important to be there. Um, It's still important for networking. We know how important that is for small organizations and relationship building and stakeholder relationship building. There's also some credibility that goes to you being there as an individual in your you know, in terms of what your role is in the organization. And there's definitely some credibility attached to having that page. But where I would be focusing your energy on LinkedIn is on your personal profile, because Mm. that's where you're going to get the most exposure and engagement. So by all means, pop a post up on your LinkedIn page every now and again, but you should be sharing that from your personal profile. And actually LinkedIn's made a lot of changes in the last 12, 18 months to prompt you to do that, because that's what they're wanting Mm. people to do. Act as individuals from a professional point of view, and share their content. If you're pressed for time, I I would say if you're in a small organization and you're not on LinkedIn, you need to get on there Mm. from a personal point of view. Mm. Um, Absolutely. If you're pressed for time, have the page there so you can add it to your profile, create it, take that time, but then don't worry about it and focus all your time on posting what you're doing, how you're reaching your mission, um, what your campaigns are. Share all of that in LinkedIn. The great thing about LinkedIn is that people are there for work. So they want to hear about what you're doing. They want to share in your wins um, they want to share your work. They want to give you encouragement. And that's what's great about that platform.
1: Sorry, I think the other great thing about what you're saying, Kirstie, is from a small charity perspective, again, where we're really challenged with timing for resources, this is actually something that we can connect with our board members or our committee members, depending on Absolutely. the organisation, who probably all have profiles, LinkedIn personal yes. profiles, and get them to be using it. And that's a really key way Absolutely. that they can simply help you know, get the message out about what we're doing. And even if that is that they, you know, they're sharing your LinkedIn. So, you might just, um, obviously, in the first instance, make sure you're all connected on LinkedIn. But yes. you might be able to, um, when you're doing some major updates or... Um, you know shout outs on your linkedin profile is even just send a little email to your board members and say i've just done something it'd be great if over the next week you can jump on and share my post or 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 you know help spread the word through your profile because that is definitely something that all board members should be doing as part of their role in supporting your organizations and it's a really simple thing for them to do
0: it really is get your board to work for you you know yeah. and linkedin is the place where they can do it absolutely and i would say just regarding the other platforms You know, it does come down to individual organisational basis and what your work is and how successful you might already be on a platform, but I would be channeling my energy and resources and time into Instagram at the moment, maybe back off your Facebook page a little bit just because the, the engagement for business pages on Facebook just isn't there. That's not to say don't keep posting, definitely do that, but if you're having to make that decision about where to channel resources, definitely make sure you're on LinkedIn and you've got that presence there and then maybe try and focus on Instagram. Um, there's a lot of cross-promoting going on with Instagram and Facebook. You can connect your accounts. Every All the content you do on Instagram is being automatically shared to Facebook if you link them, particularly the reels and the videos. And so that's what we're telling members to do at the moment. Focus on posting all of that content on Instagram, and then it'll share across across the platforms. And really have a hard think about how many platforms you're on and why you need to be on there. Most small organizations don't need to be on TikTok, don't need to be, you don't need to be loading up to YouTube regularly, you don't need to be posting to Twitter regularly. Obviously, it's a really individual thing. And if you've made that strategic decision that you do need to, great. But I've rarely seen any small organizations that have the need to be across more than one or two platforms. So I think that should be a relief. Yeah, I was was actually going to say that exact
1: I think that's a real relief for a lot of our listeners probably because unless, like you said, unless there's a real reason why you believe your organisation needs to be there, you don't need to be there. So just, yeah, that's a great piece of advice I think to finish on as well.
0: And on that note... Just want to say huge thank you to everyone, all of our listeners. We've had a really successful year with the podcast this year, even though we definitely have been delivering less content, that's for sure. But we just want to thank all of our listeners and our members for their support in 2022. We really love what we do here at the Alliance and we couldn't do it without you and you're the reason we do it. So thank you so much for your ears and your support this year. And we look forward to another new and exciting year in
1: 2023. Kirstie, we do. And I think the other thing to say is we're always open for that feedback so you know contact us uh, get in touch and you know if there's a topic that you want to hear next year we'd love to hear from you so we can you know really uh, mold our content to suit what our what our members um, and our listeners really want and I know it's been a really busy year for a lot of people and off the back of a couple of really tough years a lot of people are feeling really tired and exhausted uh, going into this Christmas and this holiday season, but I just really want to remind everyone, just to let that things go and and really just take some time to celebrate the wins that you've had because you will all have had some incredible wins in the work that you're doing in supporting the community. And I think it's really important that um, that you take some time to acknowledge what you have done and the successes that you've had. Yeah, we look forward to working with everyone. again. Well
0: said, well said. Thank you so much, everyone. Um, we'll be back in 2023.